Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome back to the Daily Jungle Clones. What's going on? TGIF, the ZO2s dropped last night, and I gave you my thoughts on those $500 sneakers and the Ball Family Circus. Manny Machado went big fly last night against the Red Sox, and then he pimped it like a gangster. All three guests came in, and they crushed it. Combat sports writer Kevin Ioli, Arizona Diamondbacks manager Tori Lovello, and red center fielder Billy Hamilton. Be safe. Be responsible. Get awesome. Alvy, roll it. I might not be doing my job if I didn't give you a thought or two on the latest involving old man Ball and his kid and his fledging, fledgling big baller brand. Lonzo, or more accurately, the old man, released their own signature shoe yesterday. He's thought to be the first player ever to release his own shoe before the NBA draft. And the only thing more ridiculous than that is the notion that if you want that shoe, or both of them, you've got to pay $495 for it. And yes, I said that. A $495 pair of kicks. $495 for a kid who's not even in the NBA yet. And for an additional $500, they will give you an autograph pair. So I said that too. They're charging you 500 bucks for a pair of shoes and 500 bucks for his autograph. And he's still not in the NBA yet. Now, it might sound like the biggest joke ever, but it is a real thing. And it's way worse than it even sounds. Way worse when you consider it's more than twice the cost of any other player's signature shoe. Including, you know, guys who actually matter. Guys who've actually played in the NBA. Jordan shoes sell for a buck eighty-five. Mike's LeBron's shoes sell for 175. Kobe's a buck 60. Kevin Durant 150. Steph Curry's are 135. Oh, I think Starberry's old pair sold for like a buck back in the day. Let me put it to you another way. You could buy a pair of LeBron's, a pair of Kobe's, and a pair of Durant's, and it would still be less, all added up together, than one pair of Lonzo's. And if you really are dumb enough to buy a pair, they also have a $220 pair of slides that they can sell you too. Now, before you kill the old man for a strategy and for trying to jam you for 500 bucks for a pair of kicks belonging to a kid who hasn't even been drafted yet, the old man's got a message for you. Quote, if you can't afford the ZO2s, you're not a big baller. End quote. You got that? It's not that the shoe is overpriced. It's that you're not baller enough to pull the trigger on a pair. If you can't afford the shoe, you're not a big baller. Well, LeVar, I guess that makes every last one of us losers. Let's not confuse can't afford with not willing to spend a half a thousand on the Applebee's Waiter One. Hey, you remember the Harden one, right? Remember the Harden one? Remember those kicks that look like burned baked potatoes? Like, Harden had these size 15 baked potatoes that he pulled out a big hole for and just stepped into? Maybe the ugliest shoe ever? Remember those? Well, if you looked at them and said, you know, I'd like to have a slightly, a little more flash and triple the price tag of that burned baked potato. If you thought that, then that shoe's for you. This shoe is. In other words, anyone who buys this deserves this. And if you do, and you actually wear them in public... Prepare to have folks light you up the way this guy did a cop way back in the day. What are those? Remember that? What an awesome vine that was. 
What are those? What are those? That's what you're going to get if you rock those shoes. And this deal, detail. How about this? This detail is so rich. Check this out. Quote, pre-order available for a limited time. No refunds or exchanges. Shipping by November 24th, 2017. You follow that. Pre-order available for a limited time. No refunds or exchanges. Shipping by November 24th. In other words, no refunds or exchanges on a shoe that you can't even try on. Obviously, the entire world is killing the family for trying to charge 500 bucks for a pair of kicks. But Golden State coach Mike Brown, I think, had the very best reaction of all. Would you buy your kids a, five, a pair of shoes for $500 <laughs> from an unproven NBA player out the box? Uh, no. Laughed out loud. I mean, straight up laughed out loud. Uh, no. Again, anybody who buys them deserves them. Lonzo, nice player. Good dude. Bright future. But the old man is turning him into the butt of jokes before he even gets to the NBA. I mean, the guy is nice. The kid's nice. But that's been totally lost in all of this because the old man continues to go supreme bag at every turn. But as usual, on some level, it does work for the old man. Drop those kicks at a standard price, and he gets what? Maybe 15 seconds of run. But throw a $500 price tag on the same kicks, and he gets 15 straight hours on every station and blog, coast to coast. An entire news cycle of folks putting that brand name in their mouth and spitting it back out. In other words, this is no accident. This is not inexperience. This is not some colossal miscalculation that's going to kickstart the first draft of a Chapter 11 document. What this is, is next level trolling. And on some level, it does work. Hate it. Rip it. Kill it. Meme it. Do what you do. But know you're feeding red meat to a beast that you wish was starving. And in fact, I'm no better than the rest of you. Dude hooked me also. You know how much those five minutes I just wasted on this guy and his brand would cost if I sold it directly to an advertiser? Believe it or not, it would cost even more than the price of his autographed shoe and flip-flops. That's how good this bag is. I promised myself I would not talk about him on this show, and look, he got me to do it. Look what I just did. And to hell with that $500 shoe. I'm just going to wait for the Lonzo Ball $1 million limited edition Bentley. Again, the kid's nice. The kid's nice, but will never, ever have the game necessary to cash the checks his old man is writing with his mouth. But on some level, it works. He got me to talk about it when I said that I wouldn't. I promised myself I wouldn't. And there it is. In fact, it was a long enough take that I had to break it in two. If that guy had to buy that advertising, do you have any idea how much money that would cost? And he got it for free. On a huge show with an extremely reputable, credible, and likable host. Billy Hamilton is my guest. So 200 career stolen bases. I mentioned fourth fewest games since 1900. It's a really nice milestone. How much pride do you take in that accomplishment and that number? Oh, a lot, man. Like I say, it's, it, for me, it's, it's a big-time blessing. And uh, like I said, it's just a, it's a milestone that, uh, that I've... Um, that I'm really to be a part of, and it's just something that I I've, I cherish, and I, I keep I keep I keep uh I keep going, and uh, like I said, I got a long way to go to get where I want to be at, but I'm, I'm humble right now, and like I said, 200 uh, is is a big number for me. I just got to move forward from here.
It's a big number. And to put that in perspective, the only guys who got there faster, Vince Coleman, Tim Raines, and Ricky Henderson. So in a sense, what's it mean to hear your name mentioned alongside legends like those? Oh, it's great, man. Like I said, all those guys you just named are, uh, are great players. And like I said, they, they, they stole bases. And like I said, my name being a part of those guys is amazing, man. As I said, like I said, Ricky is one of those guys I, I've talked to before. I talked to Vince Coleman before, and like I said, those guys are um, those guys are amazing. I just love to be have my name just thrown out there with those guys, and never like growing up from small town Mississippi, never thought I I had my name up there with those guys. But like I said, it's, it's a blessing to be be a part of this game and uh, be a part of the Rays organization. And like I said, it's just it's something that I got to I got to keep moving forward and keep uh, cherishing every day. Billy Hamilton joining us. You know, you mentioned Ricky Henderson. I mean, everybody's got their favorite Ricky story. I don't know if you have an actual Ricky story, Billy, but Ricky, he was one of a kind. I mean, this guy was absolutely amazing. What kind of conversations have you had with Rick? Oh, it, actually, it wasn't like a, a real big-time conversation about anything. It was just uh, a few years back when I was in the Futures game, and um, you know, we played up in New York, and I, I started the game. So, you know, I, I played uh, the first five innings and uh, went down to the clubhouse and took my shoes off and got in my, uh, my turfs. And uh, Ricky comes into uh, to the to the stadium, and he's like, "Man, I want to see I want to see Billy run." So I, I I actually talked to him about uh, right before I did it, and I went back down to the locker and got my cleats. And then I guess that they had a little rule where you can like one re-enter or like just run the bases. And uh, so I actually uh, he told me he said, "I want to see you run." So I actually went down there and uh, he let me back in the game, and then I, I stole it in the futures game. But like I said, we haven't really had any like full conversations about anything like that. But like I said, just being a part of him wanting to see me run was 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 amazing for me, like I said, and I, I I ran full speed to the clubhouse and got my cleats and got back out there. <laughs> I like that. That's cool. Clones, time for me to talk to you for a moment about Ferguson. Ferguson helps facilities pros by supplying innovative and reliable products, but what Ferguson really offers are solutions. Ferguson has a dedicated team of facilities experts, and with nationwide coverage, we deliver directly to your facility right when you need them. Plus, Ferguson's broad inventory of maintenance, repair, and operations products, along with plumbing, HVAC, and appliances, sets Ferguson apart from traditional facility suppliers. So learn more about how Ferguson Facility Supply can help your facility at Ferguson.com today. That's Ferguson. Now it's back to the Daily Jungle. Red center fielder Billy Hamilton joining us. You know, you obviously have great, great speed, but stealing bases is not just about speed. There's obviously technique and strategy as well. So when you get to first base or and you start thinking about second base, are you thinking about the catcher at all or are you just locked in on the pitcher? What are you looking for in the pitcher? What's your approach once you get on first? My approach on first base is uh not worrying about being picked off. So I'm only I want to get the maximum lead where I know that uh I don't have to worry about getting back to first base. That's just what a lot of base stealers get to a point where they they so worried about getting picked off, so they they're not really focused on second base. But for me, I'm I'm worried about second base, and I really I'm focused on the catcher too much. Uh, I'm basically I mean every now and then you can try to cheat and uh, steal a couple of signs uh, when you're at first base. Pick I mean you can peek in a little bit, but but for the most part I'm just um, out there just worried about the pitcher and uh, making making sure that uh, I get my best jump. So I'm mean, not really. Really worried about the pitcher or the catcher. As long as I get my jump, I feel like uh, I have enough speed to get to second base. But like I said, the thought process is the main is the, is the main key to, to stealing bases. Like I said, you, you can't worry about being picked off. You got to worry about second base. All right now, you've stolen six bases in the last four games, including three on Monday. So as a base stealer, can you get into a zone like you would as a hitter, where you're reading the pitcher really well and getting great breaks? Can you also get into a zone when you're running bases? Yeah, definitely. Like I said. As 
as I'm getting on bases, it's, it's my main thing. Like I, said, I feel like I'm in the zone, stealing bases all the time. I was talking to the umpire yesterday. He was like, he was asking me a question about field. He was asking me a question about does a uh, does a lot of base stealers like get picked off? Like, and I was like, uh, for, like to be honest with you, like for me. I don't like I don't get picked off as much as I used to, and uh, like I said, because once you're in that zone, you feel like you like you're ready to go every single time. I mean, like I said, you you know where you know where to be at on the base pass to, to where you not getting picked off and not having to worry about getting back. But like I said, it's just something that once you get on base, and like I feel like I'm in the zone every single time I get on base. We're talking to Billy Hamilton for a few more moments. Now, on Monday, you had a walk-off double in the 10th that won the game. You always play extremely well. Sir, in Pittsburgh, there are fans behind the plate who complain that you kill them every single time. How do you explain the success you've had against Pittsburgh? You know, man, I, I have no idea how to explain it, man. It's just, I mean, it's just something that I, that it, it just happens. And I mean, if, you, if you look at it, it's, it's, it's true that it always happens. But like I said, I don't, I don't do anything different. I, mean, I still just... I still do. I, I still do my same routine every single day. I come to the park. I I do. I eat my same chicken quesadilla. I mean, I, I get out there and I, uh, I do my same routine in the cage. And I don't know. It's just something about Pittsburgh that uh, that um, that, that makes me play well. I don't know. But like I said, even even when we're in Pittsburgh, I mean, I, I play well there. But it's just something that uh, I just got. I got to keep rolling with it. And like I said, if I hope it gets better with every uh, with the other teams for me. What's the philosophy behind the chicken quesadilla? You just like the way it tastes, or is that a superstition, part of the process? Why a chicken quesadilla? It's just part of the process, man. I mean, like growing up in Mississippi, I, I, I love chicken. That's just one thing I do love. And um, the chefs here at the stadium make some really, really good chicken quesadilla. So even like when we have day games and I come in, everybody's he's making everybody's omelets and all this type of stuff. And he's I already know he has made chicken quesadilla ready even for breakfast. But it's just something that I, I guess I love chicken quesadillas. My routine, I eat it right for every game. So it's just something not superstition, but I just do it every time. I can't run a lick, and I love a chicken quesadilla. I do the same thing. It's part of my routine too. Billy Hamilton joining us Tuesday. You had a three-run bomb against Pittsburgh that snapped a homerless streak at 319 at bats. What did it feel like when you made contact and that ball left the yard? You know, it's actually uh, it, did, it didn't feel like anything. It didn't. I mean, like I said, it. it that's one of them, that's one of them at bats where you you know you hit it good if you don't feel it off the bat and uh I actually I hit I hit it pretty good like I said it's, I was telling the guy the other day I mean it's been like three hundred and something at bats but like I said I, I could have went three hundred more at bats as long as I'm just hitting line drives getting on bases fine with me but like I said it's just it happened I mean I didn't try to do it I don't I don't hit home runs that's that's just uh this is not my game but like I said every every now and then you hit one you, you got to be excited about it but it just I mean it happened to go out the park and in 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 a situation where we need a few more runs and like I said uh, it worked out well for us hey, listen you're that's not your job necessarily they don't pay to do that but it's always nice to run into one one last thing one of the things you've talked about is being ready from pitch one that doesn't necessarily mean you swing at the first pitch but what do you mean by being ready from pitch one yeah, so like I said, usually back in the past, my uh, last few years, I'm, I'm already I'm automatically taking the first pitch, and for and for the uh, and, and for the first uh, as a leadoff hitter, you know they they don't want to walk you, so they're gonna they're gonna throw you a lot of strikes. And for me, just going up there, going ahead and automatically taking taking already already taking, you know, pitchers gonna. Uh, they want to throw right down the middle for you, a four seam right down the middle for you to hit it. I mean, especially when they know you're not going to swing. But if you go up there ready from pitch one, not necessarily going to swing. But if you're ready, and it's, if it's right down the middle and you and you hit it, you have to be ready for it. Or like just going up to the plate, knowing that 
knowing that he that you're not gonna that you're not gonna swing that, that makes the pitcher just throw down the middle. So lately I've been getting like first pitch balls, which usually I don't get that, but now I'm starting to get like a few first first pitch balls or like I said, I'm ready to pitch one, so that's that's what it means. Last thought, you know, it seems to me when you lay it out like that, you've got a plan. You have to always go up there with a plan. I know that you spent some time last year talking with and working with Joey Votto in the batting cage and uh. then your hitting took off right before an oblique injury ended your season early. So, like, what types of things were you working on and talking to him about, and what was your takeaway from working with him? Yeah, I mean, mainly, uh, like I said, there's, there's not, not too many people who can hit like Joey, man. He's, he's one of a kind. And uh, for me, just to be around him when he's talking about hitting, and uh, I, like I said, he just he talked to me about being the hitter you want to be. Like, you, you know you can't be... I can't be a Joey Votto. I can't be a um, Buster Posey. I can't be any type of those those good hitters. You got, you got to know what type of hitter you want to be. You got to know. You got to go up there with a plan. You got to know what pitches you want to hit. Like what like in, in certain situations. For me, I was just pretty much free swinging. And like I said, I know my average isn't where I want to right now. But I feel like I feel so confident at the plate, and I feel like um, I'm 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 putting the ball in play well enough to. Uh, to to do some do some things, but like I said, my average isn't where I want it to be. But like I said, Joey's still a, he's still with me. He's still helping me out. And like I said, it's just something that I can move forward and and, and keep working to, and keep getting better. It's your show. Take it over, dear Rome. I'm running really late for work this morning. Not because I started drinking early, but because I can't decide which T-shirt to wear. But also because I started drinking early. Any chance you can help me choose which one to rock today? Excuse me, which Uno to El Rocco Tadeo? Cinco de Drinco. In dog beers, I've only had one. If you can read this, you're not as drunk as me. Avoid hangovers, stay drunk. I hate Cinco de Mayo. Signed, no Juan ever. Juan. I don't get drunk, I get awesome. DTF, down to Fiesta. Insert beer with an arrow pointing up at my mouth. My bucket list. One, beer. Two, ice. I didn't text you. Tequila did. Anything you can do, I can do drunker. I swear to drunk, I'm not God. Sotally tober. Just let me know, thanks. Yours truly, Cinco de Mayo honks. Signed, Ken Mission Viejo. War America. Only celebrating other countries' holidays when it gives us an excuse to drink heavily. Unwar Canada's Boxing Day until it becomes Boxed Wine Day. I tell you what, Ken, you are in Mission Viejo, so you would know, but they all work. Any one of those shirts work. In fact, I'd bring them all to work. Just change them out every hour. Anybody else? What are you doing on Cinco de Mayo? Has your weekend started? Are you already blasted? Or are you doing what you do every other Friday during the year, going to work, doing your thing, and you want to talk some sports? I'm here for you. Kevin Ioli will be here for you later on. Toy Lavello, Diamondbacks manager, Billy Hamilton coming up too. Let's check it out. In terms of the question, is K-Sav real? Kitlin Savage, is she a real thing? At SA Sports Honk tweets, Rome, Kate Savage in Texas is real. So is my championship. Signed Dwight Howard. He doesn't believe she is. No matter exists. how the season ends, you know, I'm still a champion. Does she exist? J. Gill 13 tweets. K. Savage definitely exists. I have a VM to prove it. Son, Manti Teo. Hey, babe. I'm just calling to say goodnight. Mike D for three tweets. K. Savage is totally real. People who are buying the Lonzo Balls ZO2s. Kate, they're not buying it. 
They think you're not real. At Teflon John tweets, War firing up the margarita machine at work and forwarding the phones. Nick, the 502 tweets, I'm enjoying some of the illegal Bombay Sapphire. Three rocks, no olives. Hashtag Cinco de Drinco. Hashtag Revenge of the Fifth. Tori Lavello. Tori, it is good to have you back. How are you? Uh, hey, Romy. How you doing? Always a pleasure to talk to you. Tori, it is so good to have you back. Great to talk to you once again. Hey, let me jump right into it. You're coming off a loss to Washington where Max Scherzer had some very good stuff. He struck out 11 guys. Now, Tori, you've dealt with a flu bug as a team. I know you're not going to blame the loss on the flu, but given how tough it is to face Scherzer as is when you're healthy, how much tougher is it when you've got guys who are kind of hanging and illing with the flu? Well, it's always a challenge. And, um, you know, during the course of the year, you're throwing a lot of curveballs and and it's how your team kind of adjusts and gets through those moments. And yesterday was a was a perfect indication of that. We had two of our starters out with the flu. Um, it gave a chance for a couple guys to step up and, and try to get the job done. Unfortunately, Max Scherzer was extremely tough. I've seen him for a lot of years. He was dominant with dominant stuff for his entire outing. He actually had a couple big hits too that were that were very hurtful to us. Uh, and he won the game. He did his job, but that's no excuse that we were ill. It was just a better team that won yesterday. Fair enough. And, Tori, when you and I spoke back in 2015, when you were the interim manager in Boston while John Farrell was receiving treatment for cancer, we talked about how you had been preparing to be a major league manager for a long, long time. So what was it like when you were hired as the D-backs manager in November? Well, I think um, that little trial run there in 2015 prepared me for a couple of the moments. Boston is you know a very different animal with uh, with a lot of a lot of media, a lot of requests, a lot of things that are floating around. So that was kind of on the high side of preparation. Nothing against Arizona and what they offer from a media standpoint, but I felt like I was ready for that challenge. Uh, and then your game clock. You just got to get your game clock uh, going again and the moves and the pitching moves and the strategy and following the flow of the game. The biggest challenge for me was um, the NLS and the managers and the team and the, the teams and the personnel. I just wasn't so familiar with that. I'm still getting my hands on that. And the AL East, I knew I knew moves that uh, were going to happen prior to them happening because I had a great anticipation having been in that league for so long. So as we get the uh, rugged NL West thrown upon us, I'm slowly putting my uh, my pieces together, getting a feel for these managers and the style of style of uh, of their play. Arizona manager Tori Lavello joining us. So you've got to learn the division. That's pretty clear. That's obvious. But you had an approach and you had a philosophy coming in. It's a team that lost 93 games last season, and you're off to a great start this year. One of the things that's come up a number of times is the fact that there's been a culture change in that clubhouse. So what kind of an environment and atmosphere have you been looking to create since you arrived there? Well, I, you know, right, right when I was um, given the position of manager, I got on the horn and just started talking, talking shop with a lot of the players and a lot of what was going on inside of their world just gotten a feel for for what uh what went what went on during that type of a year where they lost a lot of games and i guess the common denominator was that uh, some of them were grinding and not really having a lot of fun so you know i'm all about that i'm all about going out and preparing uh getting ready for the game never looking beyond the game but outside of the game to create a create a, create a culture where there's you know a smart tough baseball team that's preparing for the moment but having a balance, a creative balance to get away from the game when you can, give, give these players enough space to go out and perform and celebrate the good times, learn from the bad times. So it was really no uh, rocket science. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here, but I just wanted to make sure that these players understood that what they, what they said mattered. Uh, listening is an active part of communication, and it was my job to be a good listener. I was obviously going to communicate what was on my mind, and that's just created a really good environment where everything's very open. Everybody's pushing forward for a, a common denominator, which is to go out and win. And then we create a very fam- very family-oriented environment that's built on trust and love. 
Arizona manager Tori Lovello joining us. You know, when you and I spoke also back in 2015, we talked about the incredible praise that Sparky Anderson had for you back in the day. He actually compared you to Johnny Bench. Now, I'm just saying from a media standpoint, Tori, I love Sparky. Man, I love talking to Sparky, Sparky back in the day. So what was he like to play for, and then how much of an influence did he have on you as a manager? Well, it's hard to believe that he's not around, to tell you the truth. Right. He was that type, type of guy that was just going to go on forever. But all the things that I heard him say and all the lessons that he taught to his team, and every once in a while I got the individual attention where um, where I got a chance to get to know Sparky on a pretty intimate level. One of the big things that I remember about Sparky is that every little thing matters, not just inside of the game, but to be a good a good player, a good teammate, a gentleman, and love your family. Those were all very, very important things to him. He was just a caring, kind man, but turned into an absolute tiger once the game started. There was nobody better as far as I was concerned, as far as motivating his team, being prepared. And when there was nine innings that were played, he was game on. And then there was a strategy for what he did after the game, but he let his guard down slowly after that, and he learned to trust his players. And there was, it was a two-way street, and those are some valuable lessons that I carry with me today. That's so true, right? I mean, he was such a warm, warm guy. He was such a great guy, but he was a tiger when the game started. Another great influence, obviously, Terry Francona. What makes Tito so great, and what was your biggest takeaway from working with him? Well, the art of communication, uh, hands down, um, was one of his strengths. And I, it used to blow me away. I was usually the 23rd, 24th, 25th man on every roster, having to grind my way through baseball seasons and, seasons. and it was never easy. But he seemed to identify with me on one side of the street and at the very same breath to go across the, the other side of the street to the superstars like Kurt Sealing and Rico Bronia and certain players that were just at the head of the class as far as the National League goes and have conversations on every level. And Tito was a great listener. He could, he could put a little spin on things to make it sound very positive, always light, uh, more on the light side, never took things too serious. However, when it came time to put his finger on things, he would. He had a very distinct style of how he got his points across. But it was always done with love, and that's the most important thing for me. Tori Lavello joining us for a few more moments. All right, so let's talk about what's going on this year. You've got pitcher Archie Bradley. Now, he started all 34 games that he appeared in during his first two seasons, but this year you have him coming out of the bullpen, and the guy's been a monster. He has struck out more than a batter per inning. He's got a whip well below one. What do you make of the way he's held that new role? Well, it's a credit to him. It's not easy for a young player to come in as a starter and then basically transition you know, six, seven days before the start of a season into a new role into the bullpen. But we've got some great pitching coaches and Mike Butcher and Mike Fetters, who was an elite reliever in his time, relaying some of the experiences, how to prepare himself. And Archie's gone out there and done an, ex- an incredible job of performing. And it's not easy for him. He has an incredible mentality. He's having tremendous success. And I know really the hardest thing for a young player to do, for me, is to come in and be a starter at the big league level. And we thrust young players into that role all the time. So, He's come into a situation now where he can kind of back off, know that he's going to, he's going to pitch in spurts rather than, than, than the long haul of nine innings, and hopefully he prepares him to be a starter because that's ultimately what we think we want out of him in the long term. Alvi, it was another amazing week. Only you can depict the week that was. So let us have it. Roll it. I'm 
Live in Southern California, I am Jim Rome. Nice to be with you. Hope you had a great weekend. All right, lots of show today and a ton to get to. Let's get it started. Lots to get to in terms of recapping the draft, but I want to start in the NBA. I want to start with the LA Clippers. Clippers will always be the dippers. Chris Paul, a free agent. Blake Griffin, a free agent. J.J. Redick, a free agent. Seriously, how the hell do you show up that flat for Game 7? But then again, this is who these guys are. Same old Clippers. Cousin Utah, we have good families and mountains. They'll suck on that, LA. I've always clowned them about their tooth being out. Now I'm one of them. Isaiah you know. Thomas is a tough dude, man. But you got to hit up Steph Curry hey, and see Jim if he's Rowe. got any spare mouth guards lying around. And no, clone Jewel is not a Celtic fan. That's right. Thanks, Otto. P.K. Subban joining us. I've definitely seen guys lose teeth in hockey. And he's a tough guy, and so I'm not surprised that he could battle through something like that. Coming out of the original Rocky movie, shadow boxing with a friend of mine. Bang. He hits me. I think my tooth is gone. Run back into the theater. Put it back in. Solomon Thomas. The whirlwind of this, this awesomeness, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy right now, and I'm excited for the future with this team. The Cincinnati Bengals select Joe Mixon running. They can just go ahead and convince themselves. Now, that's not really a bad guy now. That's just a guy who had a really bad moment. Frankly, I really don't think there's any distinction to be made. You punch a woman in the face, you're a really bad guy. Albert Breer, my guest, can you punch a woman in the face and be anything other than a terrible guy? I don't know what it would take for me to be able to bring somebody who is capable of that into my building. Shaken up on the play and still down is Crosby. You hate to see a guy like that go down, but to me, I think it's unfortunate, but it's not dirty. The major, the game is conduct. That punishment's befitting of that crime. Eddie Ocek. I did not see an intent to injure. I didn't see a five-minute penalty. I said last night, I'll say it again, should have been a two-minute penalty, and uh, hopefully Sidney Crosby will be okay. Twitter. He said that Glennon was invited to a draft party. Why would anybody have a party for giraffes? How's that going to go? Hey, welcome to the party, pal. Thanks, Mert. I know lots of things. They pay me to know things. Don't think that I would know if a wide receiver showed up for an offseason workout weighing as much as 280. Like, I wouldn't know something like that. And just because I'm not talking about it doesn't mean that I don't know. Fat, fat, fat ass. Anthony Lynn, but now you're part of one of the most elite fraternities. What's that feel like? Sometimes, to be completely honest, it feels lonely. <laughs> right. And then I go venture out and sit in somebody's meeting and everybody shut up. It's a little different now, the whole dynamics. Sam Amick. Romeo, what's going on, buddy? Always doing your homework. Benny. Hanna, no matter where you are, rules. What's Benny Hanna in Salt Lake like? It's the same, man. It's Sharif Abdul-Rahim, the one and only, was with us. Get thrown out of my head. Get thrown out everywhere. No, it's almost like Morris Code. F-bomb, F-bomb, F-bomb. I completely see where Machado's coming from. Why are they still throwing at this guy? Derek Holland. Batman is just a man. I mean, I've always grown up loving Batman. Uh, some of the old school with the, you know, the pow action shot stuff. But Batman just needs to be the guy. He's the freaking man. And uh, Alex, what are you doing after what's doing for Derek? Chad Curtis. Did you enjoy the game? The, the Did I enjoy gala? the game? Uh, the gala? Alex, I mean Derek. Uh, Der- I mean, Gala, I mean, game. Can you hear me, Alex? Yes, I can hear you, buddy. Remember when you played for the Texas Rangers? Yeah. Did you kill Julio Franco? Bombay Sapphire. There's a bad lot. Or an awesome lot. 77%. Wait, is that a problem? Well, 154% proof. Is that a problem? Lots of ice. No ice. Drink it straight up. We go now to Alderaan. Chewbacca. <laughs> Oh, Chewbacca is a Browns fan. May the fourth be with you. And they're going to throw Gosman out of the game. It's a curveball. That really is one of the worst ejections ever. It's that bad. That's clueless. Again, if you're going to hit a guy, hit a guy, but you don't do it with a breaking ball. Bunch of malarkey. That is exactly what that is. Bunch of balder dash. Malarkey. Bung. Malarkey. Rigor morale. Applesauce. Calais Campbell. Leonard Fournette in the first round. Man, that guy, he got me excited. He's a beast, man. He's going to make this team a lot better. Put that ping pong paddle down. I'm a two 
Trainer Todd Pletcher. Race week is one thing, derby week is quite another. It's a bit of a hectic scene. Our main focus is trying to keep the horses relaxed, keep them healthy, keep them safe. We're ready to go. I didn't text you. Tequila did. Anything you can do, I can do drunker. I swear to drunk, I'm not God. Totally tober. Growing up, my brothers and I always talk about playing What is that? What are those? Maybe the first to welcome him to the 2017 Black Off. Kevin Iola, you did tweet yesterday on the way to the MGM Grand and hope to run into my man Tom Tolbert. Going on with him today, so I'll see him. Doctor Boudreaux. You're missing no cow. You're missing with a monster. I hit your ass up, then I go drink me a monster. Get ready for the gold. Keep your car clean. Probably should have been carried out on that same forklift and carried out the Ryan Bros. <laughs> From an unproven tree. Esnaculation. I mean, have an idea. Yeah, that's the poop tank. <laughs> Calzone. Binge Hammond. Get a yellow chopper. All right, thanks a lot, Romer. Un grande piacere. I'm out, Bo. Good night now. Man, you a lot going on at the very end of that, Alvy. Kevin Ioli. Kevin, good to have you back. How are you? I'm great, Jim. How's it going today? Great. It's always good, Kevin. Lost to cover. Tomorrow night, you've got Canelo Alvarez and Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. in Las Vegas. But before we get to that fight, Kevin, go back to last weekend. Anthony Joshua beats Vladimir Klitschko by TKO in the 11th round. What did you make of that fight in general and in Joshua's performance in particular? Well, star-making performance, obviously, by Anthony Joshua, and he may be challenging Canelo Alvarez right now. I think people know it's eventually going to happen, but right now is the biggest star in boxing. Sensational performance, in my opinion, the best heavyweight fight since Holyfield Tyson won in 1996. Um, there were uh, a lot of good ones along, or some good ones along the way, but that one really stood out. Um, and I just think Anthony Joshua is really going to become the face of boxing if he's not already. He has a good argument because he sold 90,000 tickets at Wembley Stadium, a massive audience around the world watched that fight, uh, and he performed as a big-time superstar. He looked great. So where does he go next? Is it a rematch with Klitschko? Is it about with Tyson Fury? Or maybe a meeting with Deontay Wilder? You know, I don't. I think the rematch is probably the most likely of everything. I mean, I, I think the Wilder fight is going to be just too difficult to get made. The WBC, for some reason, has ordered uh, Wilder to fight uh, Berman Stavern again. He fought Stavern in January of 2015. Stavern didn't really offer much, and Wilder won the title from him. Uh, now they want that fight to happen again, and uh, that that may get in the way of that. The Tyson Fury fight, I think, would be one that Joshua would, would want because it would be so massive in the UK, but Fury is is kind of like Chavez in a, in a different way, where he's hard to rely on, and you know he's hard to get to the post. And uh, he's had all sorts of uh, personal issues since he beat Klitschko to win the title. That so that one is a little bit tough. And, and Vladimir has said I'll be back, and he wants another shot at it. He's contractually obligated. So if I had to guess right now, I think that's what we'll see next. We're talking to Kevin Ioli. All right. So what about this weekend? You've got Alvarez and Chavez Jr. Before we get to the fight itself, how would you compare the two boxers in terms of what they mean to fight fans, especially Mexican fight fans? Well, I mean, it, it, that name Chavez is uh, just kind of like the name Jordan here in the United States. I mean, uh, Chavez's father, Julio Cesar Chavez Sr., uh, was one of the great fighters of all time, any weight class, any uh, country, any era. I think he's in the top 25 all time, that good of a fighter. Uh, and his son's certainly not in that category, but because of the 
absolute mad love for his father. Uh, the son is one of the most popular fighters in Mexico, too. Now, Canelo, uh, I think what makes this fight so fascinating is Canelo came along and really captured the hearts and minds and souls of a lot of the uh, Chavez fans, and now you have the two of them meeting. There's still some people that hang on and root for uh, Julio because of his father, and now Canelo, they, they, they were rooting for Canelo because he was kind of the successor. And so it's tough, but it, it's interesting. Chavez is a massive name down there. And, you know, I, I have a feeling that no matter what the crowd mix, Jim, is at the beginning, if Julio starts doing well, they're going to switch to him. Mm, Kevin Ioli joining us. Now, Kevin, when that fight was first announced back in January, Oscar De La Hoya took a lot of heat as a promoter because it was not Alvarez versus Triple G, the fight that people have been waiting for. What did you make of that criticism? Well, I've been criticizing Oscar since 2015 uh, for not making the fight with Triple G. But in, when they made the fight in January, we already knew at that point that Triple G was going to fight Danny Jacobs in March. So I actually thought it was a stroke of genius to make that fight because it, it had this rivalry and nobody was thinking that um, Chavez would get the fight and would be in the mix. And when you start thinking about it, you say, hey, Chavez is a pretty good fighter. And if he can come up and, you know, there's a lot of problems with him. He's not been disciplined. He doesn't make weight. He fails drug tests, all these different things. But when everything is working right for him, and admittedly it hasn't been often in his career, he's dangerous. So I thought they made a really good choice because you've got to figure Canelo is a strong favorite, but people know Chavez is good enough to win. He's got a lot of fans. So I think in an era when uh, there's not a lot of fights to be made out there other than the, the two big superstars, this is a fight that I think you know, can sell some pay-per-views, make some money, and potentially be very entertaining. Kevin, you just touched on something key, but Chavez, he's got this great talent, we know this, but there's always been that feeling that he has not lived up to that great talent. In your opinion, are the expectations just too high for him, or does he just not like doing the work necessary to be a champion? I think it's both. You know, I mean, certainly when he started, you know, he's the son of one of the greatest ever, so that put, and he has the exact same name, that put a tremendous amount of pressure on him. But, you know, hey, look, he grew up as a rich kid. He, he didn't have to get up at 4 in the morning and go do road work. And a lot of times he says, you know what, I don't want to do that. And, uh, and he just didn't have the discipline because he had everything he wanted when he was a child and everything he wanted when he was a teenager. And by the time he got into boxing, I think he, he wanted to do it. Hey, let's just see how it is. And it turned out he was pretty good at it. But, you know, he didn't want to do the kind of work that it took to be a Canelo Alvarez, that it took to be a Floyd Mayweather. You know, though, if those guys were his role models in terms of how he approached his job or his father, he would be sensational today, one of the best in the world. But he, he didn't, and he's not. Better late than never. We have a reestablished contact. Hey, John, what's going on? How are you? All right. Can you hear me well? I got you now, John. All right. Right to it, baby. Hey, yo, Vicky and O'Cal, you think you so sweet? You're not even worth the damn game in the street. Hey, yo, Victor and O'Cal, you are a test dummy. I wait till your punk ass get paid, then steal your money. Yo, Victor and O'Cal, you're messing with a monster. I hit your ass up, then I go drink me a monster. Yo, Victor and O'Cal, why you make me want to act? I pour sauce on your ass and rip the bacon off your back. Yo, Victor and O'Cal, how you rap California? Don't make me call my gangster cousins to run up 
California, yo, Victor and no cow better leave me alone. You just a little puppy here, son. Take the bone. <laughs> Let's go to Salt Lake City. Hey, Zach, what's going on? How are you? Yo, Romy. It was good broing out with you the other day. You sounded exactly like me and my homies on the slopes who like to get gnarly. Anyways, props to those dudes in the Bay. These guys are so good. It's like in Mighty Ducks 3 when the Ducks squared off against the varsity team. Not even close. Either way, I'm still loyal to the soil with my jazzies, unlike any L.A. fan of any team ever. Shout out to those trolls who are coming at me on Twitter. What you call a monotone voice, I call laid-back flow. What you call a nice beverage, I call orange Powerade. And when you clown on Lance for waiting on hold for hours, a waste of time, I label that hashtag commitment goals. I'm like Bodie Bodie from the movie Point Break. I only live to get radical. You old dudes only live to watch Matlock and eat bagel bites. You know who else has laid-back flow? Slick Rick, Drake, and my my boy Rome when he impersonates me after he racks on racks on racks me. And for the rest of you clones trying to bro bra with me on Twitter, I don't bro bra with anyone I don't want to bro bra with. So don't at me. Just golden ticket me, Romy. I'm out. Rack him. Yo, Zach, you're right. It was good broing with you, bro. In Laguna. I'll be Cinco de Mayo left. What's up? Que paso, amigo? Sta bien. Story bien. How about you? <laughs> good, man. Hey, I need to get on, get on these uh, Lonzo air balls you've been talking about today. I mean, you're giving these a lot of heat, but... I'm going to go a different way, Romy. Props to Lonzo. I mean, paying homage to his dad with the, 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 the design. I mean, those yellow trims perfectly matching those yellow teeth LeVar sports. I mean, Romy, I didn't get a good look, but those have yellow tongues too. I mean, I know LeVar wants his son to play for the Lakers and all. I mean, he said so. Uh, but it's not because of the hometown team with rich tradition, Romy. It's because his chiclets match the jerseys. I mean, seriously, it looks like all the retired yellow gamers and championship banners are hanging from his upper gum. I mean, Romy, this guy's teeth are so yellow, he stains corn. Memo to LeVar Ball. Wooden chiclets went out with style with the powder wigs and buckle shoes just after the Revolutionary War. But Romy, I see this guy bumping those receding gums on first take with Screaming A. Smith. Let me be the first to welcome him to the 2017 plaque-off, because he's got them golden chiclets. Wait, hang on, Romy. Oh, he just self-flossed. Placky spit a yellow chomper. LeVar would have been a great addition to the field, though, Romy. He could have teamed up with Passin with all those hot dog jokes because LeVar can bring the mustard. That's it for me, Romy. This call is getting a little long in the tooth. Extract me. <laughs> There's your champ. Rock him. How many different ways can you say a guy has yellow teeth? I don't know. That might be the record, though. Left in Laguna. You say he never comes around. You say he doesn't call. You say he only shows up the day of. Well, there he is. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. You know I appreciate it, clones. Have an amazing weekend. Hit subscribe, tell a friend, trust the podcast, and check back in next week for more of the same. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.